Welcome to Right Side of the Brain, the arts and health podcast created by Interact Stroke Support. Our guest this week is Stephen Haywood. Stephen is a former businessman and a member of the Territorial Army for over 30 years, and he's also a stroke survivor. This interview was recorded during the partial lifting of the lockdown period. A very warm welcome to our podcast, Right Side of the Brain. No problem at all. I thought it was my left side that I'd hurt myself. <laughs> <laughs> just to just to get that one sorted uh, out. <laughs> well, well, Stephen, tell us a little bit more about you. Tell us about your work, your your childhood. What what was your childhood like, Stephen? Well, it was very nice, basically. So, I mean, there is only me. So uh, you know, sort of because my mother and father got married in nineteen thirty six and then lived in Colombia for five years. Well, just before, the, when my father did, my, wife, my mother was there for about three years. And then eventually they arrived back in the UK the day that war was declared. What, was were, a good start. what were your parents doing in Colombia? They were, well, my father, well, because we've always been involved in, te- in text- textiles, and my father was managing a, a, a mill in Colombia. Which was a bit difficult to start off because he didn't speak Spanish and, of course, all the people working there didn't speak English. But he, he, he soon sorted that out and he, both, the, both both mother and father were fluent uh, speakers in Spanish. So just to clarify then, your, your dad didn't speak any Spanish but learnt Spanish because he was in Colombia? Yes. Right. Yeah. And, but my mother was at the RL, LSE. Hmm. Um, so she, but she'd done Spanish before that anyway. Right. So she was one of the first people who was uh, the first women to be at LSE, really. Mm. And uh, you're saying that you had a, a, a nice childhood. You were an only child. You yeah. grew up in in Yorkshire. Or in Huddersfield. In Huddersfield. In Huddersfield, yes. Uh, um, we yes, you know, I was born. Well, I'm a, I'm actually a bit victory baby. February 1946, I was born. Right. that one back up. Yeah, yes, yes, of course, <laughs> yes. Yes, one of the victory babies. I really was, yes. <laughs> and and then what about your your early adulthood? What, what were your aspirations, Stephen? Well, we actually, when, when my father came back, and then eventually he was in the RAF, and then he, then he uh, came back to Huddersfield, but we have we since about the 1900s we'd owned a mill in Huddersfield. I decided very early that I would move. You know, eventually, I'd go into the mill, which eventually I did. You know, I did 16 years at the mill. Uh, is this but, the mill in Columbia? No, no, this is the one in Huddersfield. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. We didn't we didn't own the one in Colombia. We right. did own this one. I see. Um, but eventually, when my father managed to see he actually retired at uh, 52 having bought out you know he's the, 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 somebody else came and bought the mill 
and he retired at that point, which was very sensible of him. So 1952, he retired. I did actually go into the mill after that, and I said I did 16 years, which was absolutely fine. But eventually it was not going to work, and, uh, well, the place closed. The actual building is still there, but it's in a very poor state. So, so what other things did you move on to? I moved on to, I suppose, the most interesting thing was I spent a lot of time in, in, uh, in Moscow. Tell us about how you moved from the mill to Moscow. It sounds like the title of a, of, of a novel, from, you know, well, from the mill to Moscow. But bearing in mind, of course, I was also in the Territorial Army. Uh-huh. And I did that for 33 years. So we can come back to that one in a minute. But as far as Russia was concerned, towards the end of the um, time that I was at the mill, there was one of the, we'd look, we had a, 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 a map of the world. And there was a huge chunk, chunk of the world in red. And we didn't do anything there. And we should have done. So uh, we said... Is somebody want to go to Moscow? So I said, yeah, I'll go, I'll go anywhere. Get me on an aeroplane and I'll go anywhere. So I went to Moscow on my own in 1977 for the first time. I met up with people in Moscow. We're having been to the place in uh, Karl Marx is buried in London. Yes, just up the road from me. Oh, right. Well, that's where, the, well, see, you'll probably know where the, the, the where the, um, it wasn't the, it was the trade delegation in, uh, also just, just across the road from there. It was this, and, and I went in there to, uh, for, you sort of went in through the door, through the gate, which had as it opened, and you as you went, it went in, and you explained who you were and so on, and they were waiting for me, and they said, well, but what you really ought to do to get some business is to go to Moscow. So I said, for the sake of it, I'll go to Moscow. So I did. And uh, about a year later, I'd been a couple of times. And suddenly, the, the, in those days, of course, it was telex. The girl at the desk said, uh, you better come downstairs and have a look at this, Steve. So, and this this telex was just coming, coming through the machine. And it got longer and longer. And this was our first order. And, and it worked beautifully. So kept on doing, we kept on getting business going, kept on going back and forwards. And uh, eventually I thought, well, I'll do my own thing there. And I did all sorts of things that I sold there as well. For, but then, of course, as time wore on, it became more and more difficult to do business. So eventually it had to be stopped. I, didn't, I gave up and then moved to other things. The worst thing I ever did was to uh, take a, a news agents for four, four and a half years, which was awful, absolutely awful. So I got rid of that. Um, then I worked 10 years to do with the airport industry in uh, as far away from airfields as, as you could imagine, near Huddersfield. But, but just, so going, that for 10 years. just going back to your time in Moscow, this yeah. must have been during the Cold War. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So presumably you must have been asked by British intelligence or, or oh, yes. UK security services yeah. as whatever they were called at the time. It was the army that they were doing. Right. So you, I mean, you must have been asked to sort of uh, look out for 
for our side, so to speak? No, not at all. Um, every time I went to start off with, I, they then came to see me, did the uh, army of, uh, yes, I mean, intelligence, but there's uh, nothing ever happened. So, but I know, no, 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 they never talked to me about it. They never wanted me to do anything at all. And did you learn Russian? A bit, not much. Uh, my happiest hour with dealing with was when I was in Moscow, just in, just by Red Square, and somebody asked me in Russian how to get from some from somewhere to somewhere, and I was able to tell him, and that was my finest hour <laughs> as far as speaking Russian was yeah. concerned, because basically the people that I was working with they all spoke English anyway, so there was no problem, and they were delightful people, no problem at all. I like them. And then and then you said you were working for the uh, the airport industry. Yes, for for about ten years, but only in a very low low part. It was it, it was almost to do with a uh, you know retirement thing, really. Mm. Um, and when I was, and then now it's twelve years ago. Of course, I had my first stroke. So so tell us about that, Stephen. What happened? Well, nothing. I just didn't feel it was a Saturday morning, and uh, there was a Grand Prix going to be taken. Because I love the, I love watching the Grand Prix. And uh, there was one getting prepared, but it was in the morning and I was watching, well, I was probably watching football, I can't remember. I didn't feel terribly well and I couldn't move very well. And Angela was still asleep and I was down because I woke up early and was watching whatever was on. And then I sort of couldn't get up. So I couldn't stand up. So I thought, this is a bit strange. So she came downstairs and I said, well, I don't think I'm very well. And I don't know quite why. And she sort of looked and she said, no, you don't seem to be very well. So she took me up to the, the hospital, which is about a quarter of an hour away. And it was a Saturday morning, so there was no way. It was loads, loads of room to park. So I went into the uh, A&E. Mm. And they said, well, yeah, we think, you, we think you've had a stroke. And they, they, they sort of, I was there for about four or five hours, as you tend to be for these things. And they said, oh, you can go home now, which was a bit of a surprise, because clearly I was not well. But uh, they didn't see, apparently they hadn't got a bed. So, I mean, this was 2008. So I went home, and you can come back and see the doctor on Wednesday. So I did as I was told and uh, said, yeah, you've had a stroke. I don't suppose it was too bad, but it wasn't too good, you know, because I was still working. Oh, yeah, I was working at that stage. But, uh, so, so let me just let me just get this. Uh, let me make sure that I understand this right. They yeah. said that you'd had a stroke. Yes. And they advised you to go home. Yes. Now you know you won't believe that, of course. And I thinking about it at the time, you just do as you're told. But uh, you know, you can't quite understand that can't mm. really mm. but they did but i did as i was told and then on the wednesday i went to see the the, the doctor and he said yeah you've had a stroke and chin chin, and then i went back home again i never I, I was never in hospital at all for that one for that bit and uh you know a few weeks later i was back to work and that was it it was, it was i don't suppose it, it was a stroke but it wasn't a big one well obviously it wasn't I, right. I suppose it seemed bad at the time but uh, yeah. and then of course three years later i had another one and that 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 was again that was on in i was at manchester airport for that one um just beside because they got a concord there um you know all covered over and so on and we were going to because it was father's day 
and they were going, they were going to have something to eat there. We got the son and the daughter-in-law and the children and Damsa and, and I there. I just I just went down and sort of I, I managed to sit myself on a bench. I think the people who were actually having their lunch there were too thrilled, weren't too thrilled, but uh, you know, I sat myself down and uh, Angela was just getting a coffee organised and, and the children as well. They just came across and said, you're not, because, you, you, you know, I'd done the, the going to the sour bit and uh, my daughter-in-law rushed off to the uh, place in, in the in the uh, well, it's not the airport, but in the thing, and said, so I think my, my father-in-law is having a stroke, and can we get a, an ambulance? And the ambulance was there in about two minutes, because they'd never been to that bit, because they had a special area for children, so, well, for children and people like me who like aeroplanes to be, you know, and it's all very, very efficient, and with Concorde and Trident and things like that in there. And uh, so that's that's basically what happened. The ambulance arrived. They saw they sorted me out as best they could, and then they took me in the ambulance back to. No, uh, we went past one hospital to another one because they knew that it turned out in Salford. It is a, 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 a what's a, a specialist thing. No, it's, well, for whatever whatever the word is. So there I was, and I went in, and the. Uh, the doctors who arrived, who came to see me, well, he kept Angela and the kids, and he came that uh, we, uh, yes, you've certainly had a stroke. And the doctor said to Angela, if he's passing, if he survives the night, he'll never walk again. So, but Angela didn't tell me all that. Mm. So, uh, you know, I was taken off to bed and so on. And, and the, during the, through the night, Every quarter of an hour, they come and see what you what's going on, and so on. And there I was. And then they gave me one of these these uh, brown these brown themes to have a wee in, and I I tried and I, well, I succeeded, but I didn't really think much of that at all. So uh, about five o'clock in the morning, something like that. Anyway, they came looking to see how I was, and I wasn't there. He said, well, "Where is he?" And I'd actually gone to the loo, no problem at all, because nobody told me that I couldn't walk. So I just got up and went, you know, so no problem. So, so for that stage, everybody else was, was thoroughly miserable. And, and apparently I was one of the one of the funniest guys they'd ever had there. And so, uh, you know, that so that worked, and uh, they, they 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 enjoyed me being there. So that was good too. So I was there. I was actually in uh, in Salford for probably about six days, something like. And then they suddenly they gave me, oh, you're going back to Huddersfield with a, a taxi here, you're going now. I said, oh, but better get organised then. So did my best, took me back to Huddersfield, and I had the most wonderful, you know, wherever I went, everything was put, was really, really good. I can say nothing other than that. And it was, it was terrific for me. So I was there for about five or six days because I, you know, Something. They said, "Oh, you can, you know, you can go back home now, and uh, we'll be seeing you before, before, before long." So, uh, because of this, I was still working at this stage, but of course, at that stage, I couldn't, obviously, and we went on from that. And I did get back to work. You just rewind a little bit, Stephen, uh, with regards to that, because let, if I could just go back to your first stroke, where you've you had a stroke, you went to the hospital. They basically told you. Yes, you've had a stroke. Go home. 
Yeah. And it's three years after that that you then have a a far more serious stroke. Yeah. D- during that that period mm. between the first stroke and the second stroke, was yeah. there any sort of medical intervention or advice given to you as to what you should do to make sure that an, another stroke doesn't occur? In some respects, the wrong person to speak is me, because as far as I was concerned, I just carried on as as normal. I mean, because mo, mo, she's gone out as Angela, so she, she, I mean, she could have come and told you far more about it than I could. But uh, but didn't you have like a regular so. meetings with doctors, you know, uh, periodically, just to, to oh, well, yes, very much, very very much periodically, yes, and it's what I can remember, and you know, sort of because. It's all a bit of a all a bit of a blur. Mm. These things are, of course. Mm. And the other thing that struck me about what you described there was uh, your. I mean, you've always come across to me uh, as a very optimistic, oh, um, a very glass half full type of person, which I've always yeah. liked about you. Yeah. And I just wonder whether that optimistic personality played a key part in how quickly you left the hospital after your second stroke absolutely absolutely without a doubt i mean that was that, that's basically everybody was there you know sort of and there was me like well i think she described me as being uh, like topsy or something like that i was up and about all the time you know charging about the, the other thing that i wanted to ask you about that is mm. uh, you know there's a doctor who told uh, your wife that mm. if he if he survives the night he will never walk again and then yeah, there you I, are never told me that right but then there yeah. you are in the middle of the, you've not been told this so your mind no. hasn't been affected by that thought that negativity yeah. Yeah. and there you are in the middle of the night getting up and going off to the toilet yeah. so didn't that doctor see that and realize that actually his initial prognosis of you had been completely wrong I never saw him again because he was he was a junior doctor who just came in through. He was there to because you know to come to come into the door. I never saw him again, or if I did, I didn't know about it. Let's put it that way because I was mainly I was seeing at that stage I was seeing nurse you know nurses mainly, and they were, and they were very very good. And as I can't say any best. Than that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've always because because I suppose probably because of my army training, you know, I am. As you say, you know, I'm, I'm a very optimistic person. Always have been, and always, all being well, I always will be. So uh, you know, it's as simple as that. It's, you know, I saw these miserable buggies and thought, well, I'm not going to be like that. Mm. And that mm. was it. So uh, always the same. I just but wonder. I, was, I just wonder whether that psychological disposition of yours, mm. you know, really did play a fundamental part oh, in in how yeah, you I, recovered. Yeah, I'm quite certain about that. Absolutely, yeah. And how did you then get uh, involved with organisations like the Stroke Association and, and the Stroke Assemblies? Right. Well, to start off with, you know, we had a nurse who came to see us six times. And she was a bloody character. I mean, because again, you know, because we, we, we just had chats when I came when, or when they came to see me. And uh, because there was not much that I could do for them, that they could do for me, because basically I was doing it for myself. 
had a physio. She came a couple of times, but that was a waste of time, really, because I didn't need any help there. And then the best of the lot, by a long way, really, was the occupational therapist. And try saying that when you've uh, feel like it took me weeks to get that in, 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 into my brain, as I could say, occupational therapist. But she was absolutely superb. She really was. Well, she's still a good. She's a good pal now, you know. To, but just if she's round and about, she'll pop in and have a coffee and a chat with us. She can't at the moment, but uh, normally, you know, because about every two or three months she'll pop in, which is lovely. When that my my yeah my seventieth birthday, we had just the family and so this was what, four years ago now, you know, and we invited the. There was one, well, because there was Ruth, who you met, who was the, uh, she's also an occupational therapist, and she and her husband, and the, my uh, occupational therapist and her husband, and the nurse, all, they all came to the party as well, which was, which was great. So, you know, we've been really made good friends with them. And that made it an awful, a terrific difference to the extent that normally you get six of these, six people, six visits from the occupational therapist. I worked it out, I had her, she came to see me 49 times because she wants to try things with me. And that helped too, because what was happening was that the Americans, because it was all to do with uh, Iraq and so on, and the Americans, of course, were bringing lots of people damaged, and they were taking, and they were trying to get people better, and they were trying all sorts of different things. And she said she'd been reading up all about this, and there's some stuff here I would like to try with you. I said, bring it on, no problem at all. So she kept on coming, and we do all sorts of things. No one or two things I just couldn't do. So I just, you know, so eventually one particular time. I I said, well, I'm not interested in what you're trying to tell me here, and I can't do it. I don't know what the answer is, and so it's such a forget it. It doesn't matter. We'll try other things, and uh, and uh, and it was absolutely terrific. So uh, yeah. You so you had far more occupational therapy intervention than most people then. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, purely because she was interested in what in me for a start, and the fact that uh, you know she wants to try other things, and. Uh, so, so you better not tell her. You better not. I better not tell you that, really, because otherwise she'll be in trouble for doing for doing this extra time. Don't worry. So, tell us about how you set up your club, and then how you how you became associated with going to the stroke assemblies. We'll start first with the club, the the, the uh, yeah the, the club that the, the, the we did the once a month thing that you came to. It started with the the nurse. Well, you never you, do, you you never saw her because she'd actually knocked out. She she wasn't doing it anymore. And there was Ruth, who you've who you've met, and 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 me, the three of us. We got it going. Um, we thought that it really came from Ruth because she she. I'm just trying to think who really started it. But anyway, between the three of us, we thought that it would be a good idea to get people together people who'd had stroke, who suddenly were sort of in the wilderness, if you like, because, you know, you, you tend to be not good, but nobody knows that you're there sort of thing. Mm. This was, 
because coming back to the no, it really all started with the, with the Stroke Association. I do have. I'm sorry, I've forgotten about that. Going way back, they started doing something in Huddersfield. The Stroke Association did, but then they had no money, and then they decided to it wasn't worth doing, and they left, and so so it stopped. But there was somebody else who said, "We'll try and do something in a pub." So we did that, but then there was a woman who was who really, she tried to read it to to be in charge of it, which was I didn't have a problem with that. But I just had trouble with her, believe it or not. Um, and eventually we decided she was treating a bloody nuisance. So at this point, Ruth came and joined us, and so we said, "Well, look, we'll get together and we'll do something at home first. And it worked fine. We found people who'd had stroke. And of course, she was, because she was an occupational therapist herself, she was seeing people all the time who had stroke and bringing them up, you know, getting them into it. And eventually, we, we would get up to up to about 20, but not, not everybody had had the stroke, of course. Am I talking too much for you? No, no, no. <laughs> so, um, so the group, yeah, the group still meets once a month? Once uh, um... a month. First Steve. Thursday of the month. And um, but unfortunately at Christmas this year we decided to knock it on the head because Ruth couldn't do it anymore. The other the the, the, the nurse she'd moved on to doing other things anyway. See, she hadn't been doing it for a couple of years anyway. So it was, basically it was up to, to to me to do it. And quite frankly, I didn't feel that I was up to do mm. to doing that. Mm. So uh, we knocked it on, but we, we we knocked it on the head, and then of course all this lot came, so it would have stopped it anyway. Mm. So it really didn't matter. <laughs> and uh, the the last time I saw you was at a stroke assembly, which, uh, I, as I recall, I think you crashed your car. We don't discuss that. Oh, oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you are quite correct. Yes, That's entirely my fault. Which then then left you thing from sorry left you quite stressed uh, uh, that that couple of well, days inevitably. yeah yes it's it spoiled our, our normal reunion well in a sense yeah but i got over it didn't you I? did you did yes. yes my car was slightly damaged <laughs> the tesla that i hit <laughs> was in the right state but uh that's right of all the cars in all the world that you had to hit you had to hit a tesla yeah exactly <laughs> My most expensive car in the bill in the in the whole place. Yeah. <laughs> with with that with the stroke club now not happening, um, yeah. what do you do in relation to staying in contact with other people that have had stroke in the Huddersfield area? The Stroke Association, in a, a different part of Huddersfield, have tried to set something up. So I have been a couple of times to their do, just as a one of the people there. And, but again, that's that stopped. Um, so really, not very much. Um, one thing I am doing once a week, and I've known this for I've known her for a long time now, was doing exercising, quite hard exercising, and I'm doing we're doing that on in Zoom now, which is which is terrific. So we're doing it at home. Mm. You know, it's even better than doing it at place. So I'm doing exercise there, but. And one or two people have had strokes who are there. But uh, unfortunately, we have lost touch with quite a few of them. I know where they are, but, you know, because we're not seeing anybody, we're not really talking to anybody. So, uh, Could I ask you, it, it, yeah. if, if you could give a piece of advice yeah. to somebody who is sitting in a hospital 
they've just woken up and they've been told they have a stroke. They've had a stroke. Yes. What yeah. piece of advice would you give them? Be positive. Be positive. And that's and I have that to me is the most important thing of the lot because mm. if you give up almost, which is very easy to give up, um, you're not going to get anywhere. Which mm. sounds probably a very un, which is probably unkind to people, but uh, I think you've just got to get on with it. And make it as it is, you know. That's you've had a stroke because of this. I can do that. I can do that. I can't do that. Maybe I will be able to do that eventually. Maybe I'll be able to do a bit of it. But if I can do that and and, and get on with it, and I think that and that's it really. Mm. It's very easy to say that, but if you if you had a really big stroke, you can't say that. And it's and the. the the people who suffer most, of course, are not the people who have the stroke. It's the people who are helping, hopefully. Yes. And, of course, I know it's somebody else who's just his wife. She just buggered off. He said apparently he'd been in the hospital for quite a long time. He came out of hospital. And at that point, his wife, his wife just buggered off. Mm. So that didn't help much, to, no. say, to say the least. So you do need help from people with you. Yes. And you've really got to keep your fingers crossing that that's going to happen. And of course, that, that highlights how the stroke doesn't just affect the person who has had the stroke, oh, but the people yeah. around, you know, Absolutely. family, friends, etc. Yeah. You know, whose lives, yeah. uh, you know, have to then deal with that. Yes, yeah. Well, listen, Stephen, it's been such yeah. a pleasure to talk to you. Likewise. St stay safe and well. And the same to you, and we shall, hopefully we shall see each other next year. Hopefully. Fingers hopefully. crossed. Lo yeah, lovely knows? to see you. Likewise. All the best. Bye-bye. <laughs> that was Stephen Haywood. For more information on our work, please do visit our website at www.interactstrokesupport.org. And if you're feeling generous, please do click on the big red donate button. We very much look forward to your company on the next edition of Right Side of the Brain.